Greetings and welcome to CougarCast. In this episode, the students will be performing a reader's theater of the classic Rod Serling Twilight Zone episode, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Enjoy! The Twilight Zone Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Written by Rod Serling Fade in and on a brief montage of snow-covered mountains and woods on an island somewhere in the northeastern United States, accompanied by some odd noises, but sounds like it could be an alien spaceship flying overhead and crashing into ice-covered pond. Snow falls throughout. Two state troopers, Paget and the veteran Perry, a younger man, flashlights in hand as they peer into the darkness of the woods, but snow continues to fall. See anything? The tops of some trees have been knocked down. Looks like something hit the pond. Whatever it is, it'll be under the ice till next spring. A meteor or something, probably. I'd better check in. That woman who phoned said something about calling out the National Guard. He opens the door to the patro- their patrol car and grabs the radio mic. Into the mic. This is 1183A. 1183A reporting a checkout. Go ahead! To the dispatcher. Checking out a report of an un- unidentified flying object. Supposed to have landed in the area of Hook's Landing. Appears something cut off the tops of trees. Came, came down in the ice at uh, Tracy's Pond. We can't see it now. As Paget talks, Perry discovers tracks in the snow. Bill? To the dispatcher. Hold on a second. To Perry. Yeah? There are footprints up here. They come from the pond. Looks like they got out of whatever landed. To the dispatcher. There appears to be some evidence that, well, we'll call you back. What's it all about? We don't know yet. How's that? Well, uh, we'll call you back in a little bit. Oh, white budget. But there's some talk of a bridge going out up there. When you can, you better take a look and make sure she's posted and blocked off. Enough ice jammed up against it to cool the Congo. Roger and out. Paget shuts, shuts the car door and joins Perry by the tracks. Light, light from a roadside diner glows in the distance. No question about it. Something left that pond and went over to the diner. Looks like a bus in front of that diner. You don't suppose it came out of that pond, do you? Very funny. Sorry. Let's leave the car and follow these tracks. I want to be sure they lead to the diner. The troopers walk through the woods, following the tracks of their flashlights. Obvious to the omniscient narrator, they pass along the way. The narrator wears a stylish overcoat and speaks directly to the audience. Wintry February 9th, the present. Order of events. A phone call from a frightened woman notating the arrival of an unidentified flying object. And the checkout you've just witnessed with two state troopers verifying the event, but with nothing more enlightening to add beyond evidence of some tracks leading across the highway to a diner. You've heard of trying to find a needle in a haystack? Well, stay with us now, and you'll be part of an investigating team whose mission is not to find that proverbial needle. No, their task is even harder. They've got to find a Martian in a diner. And in just a moment, you'll search with them, because you've just landed in the twilight zone. On the M2 bus marked Cayuga Bus Company, parked just outside the diner, we pan to the front of the bus to include a view of the diner's large front window. 
Highway Cafe, through which we can see that the place is filled with, with customers. The troopers arrive, walk over the bus, and enter the diner. Perry and Padrette walk inside the diner, brush off the snow off their uniforms, and scan the customers. A middle-aged married couple. The bus driver drinking coffee, a young married couple rubbing noses, a nonsense businessman with his coat draped over his shoulders, all seated at tables, seated at the counter, hunched over a bowl of chili so that his face can be seen. It is an old man who you, who you call Grandpa. Opposite Grandpa is the diner's, diner's counterman who looks at the troopers with concern. To the troopers. Trouble? Pajet glances at another customer seated at the corner table, an extremely attractive blonde. The troopers exchange looks with one another and then address the crowd. Whose bus is this out here? Put That's mine, cap. That's mine, officer. What's the problem? The bridge up ahead has been declared temporarily um, impassable. The ice floss stacked up against it. Another pound of weight, it could be driftwood. That's rough. Can't turn around and go back. There's a slide up there and turn off. Block. Block the whole road. Takes toothpick from his mouth. Looks like you're all kind of marooned. Till morning, anyway. Till morning? I've got to be in Boston at 9 a.m. To the businessman. Then you better start walking, mister, because that bus stays out there till, till they fix the bridge. Either that or have him drop some snowshoes. So you might as well get comfortable and get a little hot food in there. Oh, that's just great. That's fine, isn't it? Get comfortable and get a lot hot get a little hot food in you? That's precious little consolation for missing my meeting in Boston. Rises laughs, crosses to the driver, and sits at the table. That's a fine little bus line you work for, isn't it? They care so <laughs> much about their schedules, don't they? I wouldn't be too hard on them, mister. They have no control over the snow. Bridges the the sides of the hills that decide to come down, that's pretty much out of their hands. <coughs> the troopers skin the customers again, quietly to project. What do you think? They were all on the bus, weren't they? Took troopers. What's the trouble? You looking for somebody? Crosses to the driver. Driver, um, have you got a passenger manifest? Passenger manifest? What do you think I got parked out there? A 707, mister? Mister, that's that's a 14-year-old bus, and business is lousy. My <coughs> boss would run, run across the border if there was a profit in it. I don't ask the, pa the passengers their names. We kiss them gently and help <coughs> them in. We're that, we're that glad to have them with or without names. <coughs> know how many you had? Six. Unless one of them fell out the window when we hit a bump. I picked up six, <coughs> and I'm supposed to deliver six. Glances around. Nobody fell out. Somebody must have jumped in. There's seven here now. Crisis silently counts to the customers. That's funny. I know I had six people. Pajet crosses to the counter, where the counterman sits down <coughs> a cup of coffee for him. To the counterman. Thanks. Now, tell me, was there anybody here before the bus stop? No, I haven't served anybody since 11 o'clock this morning. I figured this whole bunch got off the bus. We did. There was no one in here when we came in. Then how do you account for seven people? That beats me. It downs on him. 
One of them didn't get off the bus. Sits back down. Which one of you wasn't on the bus? Annoyed. We were all on the bus. What kind of interrogation is this anyway? If we're going to be grilled, I want to talk to a lawyer. The old man <coughs> at the counter cackles and turns around. His wild-eyed face visible for the first time. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one. First he wants snowshoes, then he wants a lawyer. Point to Grandpa. I don't remember seeing you on the bus. To the businessman. That's quite funny, because I don't remember seeing you neither. Makes Wink, said the driver. Makes one of us a liar, don't it? Grandpa and the driver laugh at this. This is preposterous. What difference does it make who was on the bus or who wasn't, or whether they were six or seven or 120? Is this a diner or a Gestapo headquarters? To the businessman. Aw, oh, now don't, now take it easy, mister. To the troopers. What is it all about? To the counterman. Did you hear anything flying over to here tonight? Flying over here? No, I didn't hear anything. Well, we got a call about two hours ago. A woman said she heard something fly over, then come down. <coughs> fly over here? From where? From up there. Rose's eyes heavenward. And I and I identified flying over. An unidentified flying object? Chuckles. Nothing's come down, down from up here. It kept snow. That's all I've seen for the past 14 hours. Snow. Where did she say it came down? Close to here. Look, something did not land. Something did land in Tracy's barn. Left a trail of broken branches before it hit. We found tracks leading away from it. To where? To here. Amused. You mean something landed in Tracy's pond and then came in here? That's crazy. Nothing's come here since 11. This morning, nothing except... Except me and my passengers. Me and six people. That means that one person here... Now it's the driver's turn to look heavenward. It's an unsettling thought. Quietly to her husband. George, I don't like this. Easy, honey. Easy. To the troopers. Now, let me get this straight. You are trying to tell us that there's one person in here who landed in some kind of saucer or something and then came in here? Came in here with us? Pajet nods. Well, that's just not possible. You'd have seen him. Not necessary. It's snowing and dark. We climbed off that bus with our eyes closed to get out of the snow. Anyone could have come in with us and we wouldn't have noticed. You were all on that bus together. You would have known who the other passengers were. Well, that don't cut any ice. They, no they loaded in the snow at Hook's Landing. Tell you, tell you the truth. I don't know who got on. She's just like science fiction. That's what she is. A regular Ray Bradbury. Six humans and one monster from outer space. To the businessman. You wouldn't happen to have an eye in the back of your head, would you? The driver cracks up. To Grandpa. Look, I find you offensive, you know that? Grandpa winks at the driver. To Padret. What are you doing, officer? To Look. the Bonde. Look, lady. This isn't exactly a par out of our courses either. We go off on a lot of nutty assignments, but this one, wow. Well, I know how you began. You cut off the couple and send successful person who doesn't belong to it. You eliminate the couples. The older couple smiles and nods their heads. A little smugly. We are exonerated. Cross us off. We are two of the humans. Us too. My wife and I, we're in the clear. 
He clutches his hand, wife's hand with his rings, ringed finger, but his wife looks deadly at him. She has a wife. What's the matter? I could have sworn you had a mole on your chin. A mole on my chin? Connie, I never had a mole on my chin. Rises. I can tell you what's going to happen. We're all going to get get so panicky that everyone and his brothers will start picking up invisible clues from everybody else. This is nonsense. Sits. Well, of course it's nonsense. If husband and wife suddenly start wondering whether husband is really the husband and the wife is really... Now, this wife looks deathly at her own husband, indignant to his wife. Now, wait a minute. I think 23 years is long enough for a woman to know who she's married to. So, I'll just thank you to stop looking at me as if I just put on this face as part of a costume. Not entirely reassured, the old wife puffs on her cigarette nervously. Laughs. I love this. She don't know who he is. He don't know who she is. We don't know who she is, and this is the lemon sucker here. Points to the businessman. He's the most suspicious of the bunch. Again, the driver can't help but laugh at Grandpa. The businessman shakes his head in disgust. To the counterman. Have you got a back door in this place? Sure, why? Go back there and lock it. Well, it's already locked. If that certain somebody really is from outer space, they'll just go through the wall anyway. Waves his hat to the trooper. Check him for wings! Check him for wings! Look the under their coats! The driver busts out laughing again. Perry is getting a little fed up with Grandpa's outburst. Gotta identify- Crosses to Grandpa. Gotta identification, Grandpa? Pauses and squints at Perry. Look down in a pond in my spaceship. To Grandpa. Who won the World Series race last year? What is this? A sort of prologue practical joke? To all. I get it, I get it. To Perry. Pittsburgh Pirates won it. Took four out of seven from the Yankees. To all. Sharp boys. Real sharp boys. To Perry. Didn't figure us Martians we know nothing about the great American pastime, did ya? Huh? Huh? Grandpa Keckles, the blondie laughs at him. Crosses to the blonde. You got an identification list? Oh no, as a matter of fact, I don't. I left my wallet, I left I left my, <coughs> I left left my, it in my suitcase. I was shipped on ahead. What's your name, Miss? Ethel McConnell, I'm a professional dancer. How many legs? How many legs? I'm gonna belt you, Grandpa. Running to the troopers with certainty. She was on the bus. How do you know? Walking over her, her over. She's the only one I noticed. Smiling to the driver. Well, thank you. But who noticed him? The driver laughs again, but stops, realizing this, the joke's on him. To the driver. How do we know you're the same one driving the bus, huh? To all. Ain't nobody been exonerated yet, that's for sure. Look, let's cut this farce right out. Right now. We'll all show our identifications and put a stop to it. The whole thing's ridiculous. Arms folded to the businessman. How do you explain the extra person in here? Yes, how about that? Very simple. The driver is mistaken. Seven people got on the bus and he thought there were only six. Crosses to the driver. Is that possible? Not a chance in the world. I counted heads before we took off. There were six people. Point to each of the businessman. 
There are six people. <coughs> Process to the bond. Miss. The jukebox suddenly lights up and starts blasting the record. All eyes turn on it, just as suddenly the music grinds to a halt. The lights and the rest of the diner begin to flicker on and off. Padrette puts a hand on its, his holster gun ready for anything. <coughs> After a moment, things return to normal, but everyone is slightly spooked. What caused that? Perry inspects the jukebox. To all. We, er, we may get a laugh out of all of this in the morning. In the meantime, everyone stay right where they are. The blonde, the grandpa, and the driver glance nervously <coughs> overhead. The businessman looks discouraged. The older married couple look around at the others. The younger couple looks at one another, and the counterman can't believe that this is happening. End of Act 1. On the inside of the diner, later that night, as the counterman emerges from the back, wiping his hands, he sees the driver now seated with the blonde at her table. They seem to be enjoying one another's company. To the driver. Where are the troopers? Hmm. Oh, stepped outside. Peers out the window. Snow stopped. To the counterman. Say, Haley. Points to the jukebox. That wasn't your gag, was it? I mean, the business about the jukebox started like that. Puts up his hands and treats to behind the counter. Not me, I'm strictly short on orders. Pay your taxes. I don't know anything about science fiction. A jukebox is a jukebox and an own. You'll check with an electric, an electric, uh, electrical engineer. Grandpa gets a fiendish glint in his eye, rises from the stool at the counter, and approaches the jukebox. Abruptly, he straightens up and salutes it to the jukebox. Take me to your leader! Laughs to all. Take me to your leader! Grandpa <coughs> calms down a little as the troopers enter the diner. The two married couples, quietly napping at their tables, awaken. Paget sits at the counter, across from the counterman, to the troopers. Find anything? No. Took a look at the bridge. Holding up pretty well. I know that bridge. And that's more. I don't trust it. To the driver? Well, thank goodness we needed to concern ourselves with your judgment. If the bridge gets a clean bill of health, you'll drive that bus right across it. To the businessman. Listen, mister. You may be a big shot in Boston, but when it comes to bridges and buses, I got seniority. And I tell you, that bridge is so old that at any... The lights go out. Everyone looks around nervously. Hey, what is this? The lights come back on. Why'd the lights go out like that? We oh, oh. may be losing power. The jukebox starts up again, startling Grandpa and Trooper Perry who stand beside it. This is weird. This is just plain weird. The jukebox dies again. The tension in the room thickens. Well, I wish the audience would play his cards right now. Agitated. Why don't they do something? What's the point of us, all of us, staying cooped up in here like this and... The young husband comforts her to the young wife. The point of this, miss, we're all kids in a closet here. Nobody understands what's going on. If there was some kind of saucer that landed in pond, and he did <coughs> come he in here, I think it'll be a real healthy idea if we pinpointed that particular somebody and kept him from leaving. That 
makes sense. Maybe whoever it is is invisible. Maybe they're just playing around. Cat and mouse. That's childish nonsense. It's as good an explanation as any I've heard. But what if the, the theme doesn't show itself? Do we just sit here holding our breath? Yeah, how about that? Well, somebody wished to ask me. Interrupts sharply. Well, no one did ask you. No one will. Grandpa stops short, mouth open. Offended to the businessman. Why don't you leave the old man alone? Who invited you into this? Well, I didn't realize we were waiting for invitations, but you got this big thing about bossing everybody around. Grandpa nods in agreement. Look, it's tough enough just sitting here without... Abruptly, the lights flicker off and on, off and on for a long, <coughs> eerie moment. As soon as the lights come back on, the sugar bowls on the two married couple's tables suddenly flip over. The wives scream. Paget and Perry draw their guns and cover the doors. To Grandpa. Get over there and sit down, Gramps. Grandpa sits at the counter. The businessman glances at the diner's payphone just as it rings. Paget answers it on the second ring. Into the phone. Yeah? What's that? It's okay? Alright. Thanks. Hanging up to all. The bridge is okay. Well, it's about time. Shall we go? The troopers reholster their guns and confer. What do you think, Perry? Can't hold them. To you're, pain. Ma- you're making a big mistake, officer. Big mistake. You're letting a monster out. That may be. That may well be, old man. May well be. You can't hold someone on suspicion of being a monster to the driver. You can't, you can roll them anytime. To Padgett. All right, are they sure about the bridge? I don't like that sucker. She swings in the wind and she's not a suspension. Jerks with them at the phone. That was the country engineer. The bridge has been checked out and declared passable. We'll go on ahead, cross the bridge first. Oh, some of the customers begin rising to leave. Relieves, relieved moves to the cash register. All right, you can pay your checks right over here, ladies and gentlemen. Godspeed and safe trip. And y'all come back and see us again, you hear? That is all but one of ya. Everyone begins to rise, collect their things, and move to the cash register. To Grandpa. You're the chili, right? That's 90 cents, thank you. To the businessman. And you had what, 14 cups of coffee? That was a dollar forty. Outside the diner, trooper, pageant, and the driver stand on either side of the bus door as the travelers board the bus. Grandpa is already seated up front as the older married couple board, followed by the blonde. Goodbye, to pa- officer. To Goodbye, officer. Casually salutes her. Miss McConnell. Paget and the driver watch with much interest as the blonde boards the bus, keeping a close watch on her shapely legs. Once she's safely aboard, Paget and the driver exchange satisfied glances. To Paget. Well, I count seven. That's right. Seven. Bet you by the time we get to Boston, there'll be 17. Grandpa laughs as we dissolve to inside the diner sometime later. The jukebox cues up a record and begins to play. Cut to the outside of the diner. Through the front window, we see that the place has empty except for the counterman. The front, the businessman, his still coat, his coat still draped over his shoulders, trudges through the snow, stops to peer at the counterman through the window, and then walks inside the diner and sits at the counter. The counterman, doing some bookkeeping, is surprised to see him. Something for you? Coffee. Black. 
one coffee, black, poised coffee. Hey, uh, didn't you, uh, well, I, what I mean is, didn't you go on that bus? Says the coffee. I did indeed. Oh, yes. I went on that bus. You know something? That bridge wasn't safe. It collapsed. The state police, car, the bus, everything. Kerplunk. Right into the river. It was a terrible scene. No one got out. Incredulous. Except you. Except me. Lucky, I guess, huh? Very lucky, but, but... But what? You're not even wet. Wet? What's, what's wet? What do you mean, what's wet? <coughs> you landed in a river, and your clothes are all dry. An illusion, that's all. Just an illusion. Like that jukebox playing in the corner? That's an illusion, too. The counterman looks at the jukebox and it abruptly stops playing. Silence. Or that telephone ringing. The phone rings. That's an illusion. Just a parlor trick. What are you? Some kind of magician? A third arm emerges from under the businessman's coat. Using his three hands, he takes from his pockets a box of cigarettes and a book of matches. Who, me? Oh, hardly. The counterman stares in amazement as the three-handed businessman lights a cigarette. Now, uh, before you, uh, faint away dead, I ought to explain that the name isn't really Ross. And I wasn't really going to Boston. No, I was sent as a kind of advanced scout. You know these, uh, cigarettes, do you call them? They taste wonderful. We haven't got a thing like this on Mars. That's, incidentally, where I come from. We're beginning to colonize. My friends will be arriving very shortly. I think you're gonna love it here. Lovely area, so so remote, so pleasant, so off the beaten track. Just a perfect spot for a colony, don't you think, Mr. Haley? While we're waiting, how about a little what you call music? I don't mind. I have a little waiting myself. You see, Mr. Ross, my name isn't Haley, and I do agree with you. This is an extraordinary place to colonize. We folks on Venus had the same idea. We got it several years ago. And I think I really ought to tell you that your friends are not coming. They've been intercepted. Oh, a colony is coming, but it's from Venus. And if you're still alive, I think you'll see how we differ. The counterman removes his cap, revealing a third eye in the middle of his forehead. The businessman's face sours at this. And I agree with you. <laughs> you about what they call music. Why don't you play some? The counterman bursts out laughing. Incident on the Smile Island, Island to Believed or Disbelieved. However, if sour-faced dandy named Ross or a big good-natured counterman who handles his spatula as if he's been born in his mouth. If either of these two entries walks over to on onto your premises, you better hold their hands, all three of them, or check the cover of their eyes, all three of them. The gentleman in the question might try to pull you into the twilight zone. Hand up from the outside of the diner, dissolve through starry sky, and fade out.